Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Bulls are battling the reigning NBA champion Milwaukee Bucks in round one of the NBA playoffs. Keep it on the score as we continue our coverage of this huge series for the Bulls. We are Sports Radio 670 The Score, official radio home of the Chicago Bulls. Live from the Hyundai Studios, presented to you by your local Hyundai dealers. We are WSCR and HD Chicago, WBMX HD2 Chicago, and Odyssey Station. The Score! It's time for Score Overnights. Wisdom drives one in the air to deep left field. Going back is a Rosarina. It's got a chance. Gone. Long gone. A booming home run by Patrick Wisdom to left. And the Cubs lead two to nothing. Wow. The wind is actually blowing toward right. He hit that one in the air to left. It landed just below the video board. And I mean, this is an absolute bomb off the bat of wisdom. Right into the teeth of the wind, as you said, Pat. And the video board will help block some of that wind. But this ball, two-thirds of the way up the bleachers. And a nice catch by a Cup fan in the bleachers. 3-2 on the way to Choi. Line drive, base hit, right center. This is going to drive in a run. As the throw comes in, it'll be cut off by Schwindel. Scoring on the play is Josh Lowe. It's a one-run game as G-Man Choi singles into right center. Well, Choi puts a good swing on this pitch as they want this two-seam fastball. Hendricks is ready, 2-2. Low grounds one through for a base hit in the right field. Around third and coming home is Phillips. The throw by Suzuki, the slide safe. Rays tie up the game. Left-handed batting Kevin Kiermeyer, the batter. Runner goes, swing and a miss, throw to second, got him. Beautiful throw by Contreras. A hit and run, it appeared. Kiermeyer swung, didn't come close. And Contreras showed off that magnificent throwing arm of his by gunning a strike down to, I believe it was Madrigal at second. Two to four, caught stealing. And the one-two, half. It's a base hit to left field. Suzuki around third, heading home. He will score the go-ahead run. Ian Happ with a clutch RBI single to left. Cubs lead 3-2. Frank is nothing for three, and he hits a fly ball into right field and deep. Back goes Phillips near the wall in right, and that ball is gone. Home run, Frank Schwindel. Cubs lead four to two. Right-hander to right-hander. Margot bounces one to third. This could do it. Wisdom throws to first. Cubs win the ball game. David Robertson gets the save. The Chicago Cubs beat the Tampa Bay Rays by a score of four to two, and another save for David Robertson, and a good win for the Chicago Cubs. Excellent win, excellent ball game. Cubs did their job. Kyle Hendricks threw the ball well. Had a great changeup today. And then Keegan Thompson, absolutely outstanding. Good night last night for the Cubs. They beat the Tampa Bay Rays at a snowy and cold Wrigley Field last night. 4-2 the final. You heard the call there, Pat and Ron. The calls, multiple of them. 
multiple home runs for the Cubs last night as well. Schwindel and Wisdom. Wisdom had a just an absolute bomb out to left field. The win killed it a little bit. Otherwise, probably would have ended up on the street. Cubs get the win. They are now 6-4 and four in this early baseball season. Good morning to all of you. Good night for the Cubs last night. Wishing you a good morning. Hope you're having one and hoping that for the next five hours, we're going to hang out and have some fun. My name's Chris Ranji. Um, maybe you know who I am. Maybe you don't. Doesn't matter, but you're listening right now. And you can follow me on Twitter. If you want to yell at me, if you want to holler, you can do that. At Chris Ranji, R-O-N-G-E-Y. Um, and as we visit for the next several hours, I would love to get your phone calls, too, and your text messages. They are all welcome at 312-644-6767. The text line is the same number, 312-644-6767. Would love to have you visit throughout the course of the show in which we're going to talk to Gordon Wittenmeyer of NBC Sports Chicago as he covers the Cubs. He was at Wrigley Field tonight, and he is going to join us in the next segment. We'll talk about what happened at Wrigley, talk about the Cubs at large, and just get his thoughts on them. Um, Also, we're going to visit with Cody Westerland of 670thescore.com, who is really a terrific, well, I mean, he edits the website, so he's got control over everything. He is, he's he's the man. Uh, But also... He is so good at basketball. He is He's very, very good at breaking down the bulls. He's going to talk with us during the show this morning as well. On this wonderful Tuesday morning, and by the way, if you're listening to me, if you are hearing my voice, and you haven't turned in your taxes yet, uh, too late, pal, because it's you, you've passed the deadline. It's over. And now you're probably going to deal with penalties or uh, like interest or whatever it is that happens to you, I'm not kidding. This is a true story. True true story. Uh, yesterday, I mailed my taxes. And the only thing, for those of you that don't know, you just have to have them postmarked on the 18th. This year, it's the 18th. Technically, tax day is the 15th. But if it falls before a weekend, they usually give you the weekend. So it's the 18th, right? You have to get it in the mail. By the 18th, I got mine in the mailbox that was picked up. Well, they pick up the mail for the last time at 345. I'm not kidding you. I got my mail in the mailbox at 344. That is is dead serious. So if you want to talk about a guy who likes to live dangerously on tax day, getting your paperwork into the mailbox one minute before they pick it up for the last time that day. You're, you're listening to him. Me, this guy. Tell him, you try to tell me I'm not fun. That'll make you sweat. I could have ended up in jail. Because if you don't get your taxes mailed away in, in the nick of time, you go to prison, like right away, I think. They come to your house. Actually, I think you just pay penalties, maybe. You might go to jail. I don't, you know, I really don't know. I just know that I got mine in before the deadline. I feel pretty good about it. Feel good about that Cubs win last night, 4-2. I don't know how to feel about the Bulls. I'm wavering on this because during the game on Sunday night, game one, which was a, I mean, a, a, a really fun game, I don't know if it was the best played game. It was one of the worst shooting games you could possibly have in a playoff game. But because it was close, because the Bulls took the lead for a short period of time, it was still fun. And the fact they had an opportunity to win that game was great. It was fun, right? I think you're listening. You probably had a good time watching it. Maybe you threw stuff during the game. Maybe you threw your remote across the room. Maybe you threw your best friend across the room because you were so upset with all the missed opportunities and all the missed buckets. And right now, and I'm going to need Cody to help me feel a certain way because I've been wavering between feeling pretty good about the effort overall for the most part and the fact they made it a game against the defending champs, but also feeling sort of 
disappointed because they missed a wonderful opportunity to take a game in Milwaukee, the first game of the series. A, a, a series game uh, in which, by the way, the Bucks tend to have a difficult time because they've lost five of their last six, six game ones. I just said sex. Uh, five of their last six game ones they have lost. I mean, it didn't really matter last year because they won the whole thing. But still, they tend to lose game one lately when the playoffs roll around. And on Sunday, it looked like that was going to happen again, but the Bulls just could not capitalize on opportunities. And two of their best players, their two best players, in fact, just had a really cold night. Both of them. Zach Levine had 18. DeMar DeRozan had 18. But just a, but still a poor shooting night. I mean, we're talking about double-digit scoring. That's fine. You need more than 18 apiece from the two of them, though. You, you need, you need mid-20s from both of those guys if the Bulls are going to have any opportunity to make a series of this. And listen, I am under no illusion that this Bulls team is going to beat the Bucks in a best-of-seven series. Or if you played a best-of-seven series against Milwaukee, maybe this Bulls team, as it's currently constructed, and with all the injuries they've had to deal with, and with all the guys they have who are not feeling even close to 100%, if they play 100 times, the Bulls probably lose this series 95 of them. They probably lose 95 series against Milwaukee. The Bucks are just that good, and Giannis is just that dominant, and they've got such good role players as well. In Middleton and Holiday, they're, a, they're difficult. They are really, really difficult. And the game on Sunday was close, but part of the reason it was close is because the Bucks also shot like crap. And I know DeMar DeRozan had the comment, and maybe Sean Sears has this back in the studio, uh, the comment by DeRozan who said, there's no way I'm going to go 6 of 25 again. Like, that's not going to happen. And I agree with him. He's right. He's not going to go 6 of 25 again. But also, Giannis is probably not going to be in foul trouble for most of the second half either and spend as much time on the bench as he did. That's probably not going to happen either. And he's probably going to do better than 27 points his next time around. So, yeah, Bulls did great. DeRozan didn't do as DeRozan didn't do as well as he should have done for the team's best player this season to kind of I don't want to say he disappeared, but he just didn't live up to it in game 1. I know that he's going to do better. I also expect Giannis Antetokounmpo to do better as well, which is going to be a problem for the Bulls. Here's DeRozan from the other night. I don't know what the hell was going on. Probably a week off. It just wasn't me, you know, all of us. You know, we just got to get that feel. Feel Fine. Every shot I took, you know, um, felt good. Uh, I guarantee it. Me, Zach, or Vooch ain't going to miss that many shots again. You know, we just got to keep what we did defensively up and try to take that to another level. No, no, nothing they doing defensively. Most of the shots I took wide open, wide open, wide open. I live with them again. Like I said, no way in hell I shoot six for 25 again. Yeah, that's true. He did have a lot of wide open shots. So did Vooch. And Vooch ended up with 24, but he was nine of 27 shooting, which isn't great. I mean, you're still talking about like 33% there. And from three-point land, two of ten, that's really bad. It's never that's good not when your work. big man turns into a volume shooter, right? No. I mean, like, he did. He, and, and here's the thing. Every one of the shots he took, I don't, off the top of my head, I don't think I'd go back and say that he only oh, probably shouldn't have taken that one or that one. Like, probably all ten of them, wide open looks, why not do it? Why not take those shots? And if those if, if those opportunities are afforded to him again on Wednesday, tomorrow night, then I would say he takes them again and he should. 
But yeah, you're not expecting him to be a, a 10 three point attempt a, a night guy for the remainder of the playoffs. But for the Bulls, the only way, and this is, it's not the best situation because this has not been a good three point shooting team for a while now. But the only way this team ends up stealing a game or two in this series is if they start to hit some of those shots. Like, if they were just a little bit better from three, they shot under 19% from three. That's horrible. That is really, really bad. If they're slightly better, they probably win this game. They probably win game one. And like I said a moment ago, I am under no illusions believing they can win this series. I think they're a good team. I just think Milwaukee is that much better, and they have one of the top four or five, arguably the number one most dominant player on the planet right now on their team. Giannis is, whenever he wants to, he can dominate. There were some dominant performances in the NBA tonight, three NBA playoff games, and I'll tell you about those as we move along in the show. Gordon Wittenmeyer of NBC Sports Chicago is going to visit with us. Before we take the break, though, let's talk to Tim and Racine, who's with us now on The Score. Good morning, Tim. Hey, how you doing tonight? I'm good. Thank you. Yeah, that for one, that would be like Maxie. <laughs> he had a pretty dominant performance tonight. Yes, um, he did. But, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you're talking and about... Steph did, too. Brunson. Yeah, Steph did, yes, yep. yes. And Mitchell, but anyways, my thing is you can just say as much as you want about how the Bulls are ineffective, but if you take it and flip it the other side and say, okay, yeah, Giannis didn't have a really good night, right? Which he didn't, <laughs> but he did. Right. But, but. It, but the, he did, it, he did, he had, had a good enough time, night. Uh, yeah. Like a, a, a bad, times, a bad night for him, Tim, is, you know, what he had on Sunday, yeah. which is still like 27 points. You know, yeah, it's still, also, yeah. And 16 uh, boards. I'm sorry. Yeah. And also it's just like, uh, eight times out of 10, the, the Bucks aren't going to shoot as bad as they did as a team. Let's just put it as right. a team. I mean, that's just, that's just be honest with that. I mean, cause that's probably not going to happen like that. I mean, cause I think the, the Bucks probably had more shots than the Bulls did. I mean, if I'm not wrong, if I'm wrong, I'm sorry. So well, no, the Bulls. Right, right? The Bulls took uh, 96 shots, and uh-huh. the Bucks took 84. So okay, Milwaukee, well, right. Milwaukee shot less than percentage. Go ahead, maybe, I was thinking, but no, I mean, anyways, uh, I, I don't know. I had like a story. I listened to like uh, Bob Euchre. So I love Bob Euchre, man. I love that guy. But he was talking so about Pat Hughes because they're 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 like they're like buddies, I guess. They're friends, whatever. I don't know if they're great buddies, but I know they're friends probably for sure. But uh, they were in New York, and there was a uh, you know when you go to like the press, you know, eat whatever wherever you guys go to eat, and there was this yeah. Lady there's a, named usually a, a food room behind the press box. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there was this lady named Mary, and but you got to remember now, Mary is like the the food Nazi from uh. From, from Seinfeld, uh, you're thinking of soup Nazi, yeah, <laughs> like the soup Nazi, yeah. <laughs> and Pat didn't know this, and, and Bob Uecker's like, well, you know, you can only get one helping now, mashed potatoes. That's what it was, mashed potatoes. You could only get one, and she was very strict with this, right? Very, very strict with this. But Pat Hughes didn't know it. But Bob Uecker's like, you know, because Pat Hughes was like, hey, do you think she would mind if I wanted another helping of uh, mashed potatoes? He's like. Heck yeah, you go and everyone's like, Yeah, go up there and go get it. She don't care. <laughs> she don't she won't care. And then so Pat Hughes goes up to get his uh mashed <laughs> his mashed potatoes and, and the mayor's like, You can and she just screamed out, he goes. <laughs> she screamed, You cannot get another you know, like the like the <laughs> guy from Seinfeld would say. You cannot get another I, help in the mashed potatoes. <laughs> and Tim? then just all cracked up. Tim, I I appreciate the phone call, but I I understand Pat's pain because when you were denied a second helping of mashed potatoes, I I don't know if there are many worse things that could happen to you in life. 
I mean that. I really don't. I'm going to think about it during the break. If anything worse can happen to you, and probably not, uh, but can anything worse happen to you than to be denied more mashed potatoes? Gordon Wittenmeyer going to talk Cubs with us next on Score Overnights. As Wisdom drives one in the air to deep left field. Going back is Arosa Reina. It's got a chance. Gone. Long gone. A booming home run by Patrick Wisdom to left. And the Cubs lead two to nothing. Cubs last night at Wrigley Field win 4-2 to two over the Tampa Bay Rays, who have been in Chicago for several days now. Just lost a series to the White Sox. Now they're playing at Wrigley Field. It was cold. It was snowy. It was Gordon Wittenmeyer's favorite kind of baseball weather, and he joins us now on Score Overnights. I'm Chris Ranji, and with you, Gordon, what's happening? Good God, we need a dome in Chicago. <laughs> you know what? I'm I'm surprised the United Center is an open air. <laughs> well, they might uh, the Bulls might wish it is by the time uh, a few more of these games are over with. I you know, I, I mean there's nothing you can do about Wrigley Field. They're not going to they can't put a roof over it. It's a landmark. That's just what it is forever. But uh, you would think that moving forward and I know it's expensive but just for our convenience, the convenience of the consumer, of the, the media person and the fan, you know, you would think they would put roofs over everything from here on out. Oh, dude, dude, I, I said this probably the, the earliest years of this uh, Cubs regime, I don't know, 2013, 2014, I was, I was talking with uh, Jed Hoyer, and he laughed at me when I said it, and nobody's laughing anymore. I, I said, every ballpark within probably 20 years is going to have a roof on it. It's going to have to because of, of climate change. We're seeing all these extremes everywhere. Yeah. And, uh, and, and we're seeing that whether you're a hot climate, a desert climate, a, a tropical climate or a cold climate, you know, they're, they're putting roofs on these things. So I don't know what that means for Wrigley. I mean, Wrigley and Boston might be the only two places that get grandfathered, but, uh, but maybe not. I don't know. But that's it's inevitable, right? Oh, well, I'll tell you what they could do. They could do the thing where they build the massive shield over it like they did to uh, Chernobyl. Like there's just just huge <laughs> just build just like and it would have to encompass like most of the neighborhood immediate well, I mean, surrounding think about neighborhood. It, uh, Seattle's basically a carport that just kind of rolls over the top. Of, yeah. It's just a it, it's a separate structure altogether. It just rolls over the stadium. You, you got that. You got some of these. What was it? In? I was only up there once on an interleague uh, trip when I was covering American League ball. But Montreal had a, a really weird sort of almost roof, but it was it was almost like an umbrella. Uh, I, yeah, so, I don't remember yeah. that. At all. I I've never been to Canada. I'm not allowed there. I don't think. <laughs> I'm not allowed. Not allowed out of the country. Uh, Gordon Whitmire, the interview brought to you by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. And, and Gordon, um, the Cubs have kind of been alternating wins and losses all year. They've had like one two-game win streak, one two-game loss streak or something like that. Um, is this about the start you expected from them, or, or what were you looking for? No, I expected them to get swept by the Brewers and then just kind of muddle along from there, uh, honestly. Uh you know, and I'm not I'm not being flip when I say that. It's just that on paper they didn't look nearly as strong as the Brewers. Certainly not the pitching staff. Didn't know what to expect from the rest of it. And, uh, and they've been they've been surprisingly good. And it really hasn't been the starting pitcher. We thought you know bringing Marcus Stroman, him and Kyle uh, Hendricks are going to look pretty good. And maybe you get Wade Miley in there, and you got a nice one, two, three that, that's going to keep you competitive. And then maybe one of the young guys steps up, but yeah, Wade Miley hasn't even pitched. Stroman and and Hendricks have each had bad outings, and and uh, the young kids, you know, if we're talking Steele and and Keegan Thompson, those guys have looked great. Uh, the bullpen's been probably better than I thought it would be, even though it's had a couple of hiccups, uh, and really the lineups uh, just been very consistent, and and so it's way better than I thought it would be. And you know, and you said you know trade a win, trade a loss. 
they're six and four. They haven't lost a series. Um, they, you know, they split their two even numbered series, and they and they uh, and they beat the Brewers in their series. And they and they've won the, the opener of every one of them, including now against the Rays. So this is about as good a start as you could have scripted. Uh, you know, if you're a Cubs fan. You know, I've uh, and and maybe it's because I live in a territory where. Uh, people are rooting for the demise of the Cubs, but I've had a few people say, "Oh, they're going to be terrible this year." I I don't know if the Cubs are ultimately, when the season's over, going to be good, but I don't think they're going to be dreadful. I I really don't. I don't think we're talking about like a sixty-win team this season. Do you? Well, oh, not a, not not that. I mean, you're talking about a hundred loss team. You know what's funny about that I've learned along the way covering the Cubs is, you know, even the bad teams I've covered. You know, coming in from the outside, and and you know, there's the narrative that for all for a century they were just terrible. They only had two hundred loss seasons until 2012, and both of and they were within five years of each other in the 60s. Um, so you know that they had a lot of losing seasons, but they didn't have a lot of those just just awful hundred loss seasons. And yeah. and this certainly is. I, I I never thought this would be one of those. I thought they had enough. I figured they'd win between seventy and seventy-five games, uh, unless some unless there was some serious pitching development. And we might actually be seeing some of that if early indications mean much. Gordon Wittenmeyer of NBC Sports Chicago joining us on the score. Uh, let's talk about some of the pitching. Kyle Hendricks, you mentioned, not very good at all. First time out, uh, six earned runs for him. I don't think he made it out of the fourth. And then you get what he did last night. That's a whole lot cleaner. That's that's a lot well, more like him. You're talking about, yeah, and, and you're talking about Tampa the last. Bay too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. His I first time out. And then, and then uh, last night he was really good. Yeah, he was he was good in the opener, and then his, his second start, uh, he he clunked it up, and then uh, yeah. he was then he was okay. He was okay uh, against the Rays. Uh, just couldn't get that last out in the fifth. Uh, but he you know he labored a lot. You know he's kind of he he did okay. You know he, he's as he said he's getting closer, but he he's not quite there yet. Stroman, I'm anxious to see on Wednesday. Uh, because uh, he didn't look good in Colorado the other night. Uh, all like all of a sudden, like he 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 got through a couple innings and then just kind of kind of lost it after having a good outing his first time out. So those are, those guys are obviously the key. But Justin Steele has looked really good, and Keegan Thompson yes has had three outings now of three or more innings uh, and has just gotten increasingly better. Now this guy was a rookie last year. He wasn't up the whole season uh, in his debut season. So he doesn't even have a full major league season under his belt. And this guy can't, comes in in kind of an odd role, a piggyback, long relief role. It's, you know, he's expected to, to give you once through the order, basically, maybe a little more, almost like, almost like a starter, but not quite. And then just kind of be ready to be called on. Uh, as the first guy out of the pen in whatever that is, fifth inning, sixth inning. That's not an easy role, especially for a young guy. And yet he comes in and he's found a comfort zone in that. He's He looks very confident. He's working at a fast pace with great stuff. And then even in the middle of all that, right, he got suspended. And he served that suspension <laughs> over the weekend. And this was his first outing since then. And he was, what did he do? He came out and was even better than he was the other day in Colorado. So uh, this guy really bears some watching because if he keeps pitching like this, Rossi says, I like him in this role and he's this weapon and I don't, I don't have any desire to move him out of that role. But he keeps pitching like this with the efficiency he does. You're going to have to stretch him. And you, it's not like you've got, you know, you know, tons and tons of starting pitching options. You have a very shaky back end of the rotation as we speak right now. At some point, if this guy keeps pitching like this, he's going to be in the rotation. He's got to be. He's got got to at least get that opportunity. Yeah, and like you said, he's had two now uh, three-plus inning outings. He had a two-inning outing almost. Well, he was into the, he pitched into the third, his, his first outing of the season, and he hasn't given up a run yet. And exactly. I don't like if he keeps doing that and we're talking about multiple innings, I don't know how you 
like how do you not give him a start at some point? Right. I think he got 11 outs Monday night on 39 pitches. So you're 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 talking about now it's a cold night. It's a tough night to hit, but it's also a cold night and a tough night to grip the baseball for a pitcher. And he just saw a sign through the ball, saw a sign through the ball and was just mowing these guys down. And this isn't, this isn't some, you know, crap team from Pittsburgh. This is, this is a team that was in the world series a couple of years ago. This is a team that knows how to win. Um, and, and they, and he handled them. Um, so, you know, we'll see where it goes. We'll see what happens next. I mean, they've got a tough schedule coming up their next road trip. They go to Atlanta. Uh, but, uh, I mean, you got to like what you've seen so far. Gordon Wittenmeyer of NBC Sports Chicago visiting with us here on 670 on Score Overnights. Um, Seiya Suzuki, he is, he's just been a lot of fun to watch in this first, like, I guess we're about oh, almost two weeks into the season. Right now, his slugging percentage is over 900, and he's getting on base at over 500, close to 600, actually. I mean, he's not going to keep that up all year. That's that's like, you know, otherworldly uh, Hall of Fame, even better than that numbers. But but what do you think he he is in the long run? Yeah, that's. I mean, the numbers are crazy. I actually looked this up. Right, yeah, coming into Monday's game, he had a 960 slugging percentage. That 960 slugging percentage. Oh, so he's getting worse. Higher. Then. What's that? He's getting worse then. <laughs> That's he's right. only That's a nine. Like he, he's only a nine twenty nine now. He reached base three times Monday night, and and his slugging went down, and and I, probably his OPS went down. But his slugging percentage going into Monday's game was higher than the OPS of all but one of the last twelve MVPs <laughs> currently. So, and then then that was Mike Trout, whose OPS was. 972 so just basically the same as Suzuki slugging that that's the kind of start that he's had and then he went and got on base three more times on Monday night well actually four if you count the air so uh he just keeps doing it I what he is what I thought coming in is you know he had a reputation for having a good eye not chasing pitches and I thought we would see that because that tends to translate league to league and, and level to level, even in, even minor leaguers who do that tend to do that as they climb the ranks. So I figured that would translate regardless. Um, but the power is 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 there, man. It, it's real and, and it's natural. And so we've seen the plate discipline. We've seen him picking his pitches out. And he's striking out looking a few times too. But for the most part, it's been highly, highly productive. But what – one byproduct of that is that when he does swing the bat and make contact, he, he tends to square it up. So he's got a few homers too. So I think the way it looks, just what we've seen so far. And if you put that against the track record in Japan, we're looking at a 30 home run guy and we're looking at a guy who's going to have upper 300 something on base. And so you're, I mean, you put all that together and, you are talking about a guy that's going to push 900 OPS uh, in in a given season. So, it, yeah, you're talking about almost like like almost what uh, like two. Uh, let's see, what a thousand games, fifteen hundred games, or something in in Japan, and consistently over 400 OBP, and consistently right. over well over 900 OPS. So if he gives them like. Like at the major league level, if he's upper 800s for the OPS, that's a, I mean, that's a really great acquisition for them. Well, here, here, look at it this way. If he's upper 800s OPS for these guys, they've replaced Chris Bryant. Because that's what he was. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's, it's promising. It's, it's very early in a season. And I know that we, when we talk about baseball, we always have to, mention sample size because you don't want to get too excited but it's really hard not to be thrilled about what he could end up being well and and part of what it is is right you're absolutely right about the sample size but this isn't the sample size of him coming in and doing this to start his third season in the majors these are his first 10 games 
in a new country at a new level facing new pitchers. Now they've got some pretty high quality balls in Japan too, but it's, it's less consistent at that level here. You're getting more elite level pitching more consistently than he would have seen in Japan. And he's making adjustments on the fly. You just look at that first series against the Brewers. You're talking about his first game was, it was against the reigning Cy Young winner in the national league. His Second game was against uh, Brandon Woodruff, who uh, probably going into last season or the season before that, we thought might be the Brewers' ace. And and then uh, uh, Peralta in the third game, who's who would be an opening day starter for probably 10 or 15 teams. So that's what he saw out of the shoot in the majors. <laughs> and look at the start that he had in that series that he then carried over into the road trip. Uh, and, and now he's just picked up where he's left off again. Uh, another couple of hits got hit by a pitch. You, you know what, you know what cracks me up about this guy more than anything else? What's that? Is uh, you, you see a couple of uh, sort of uh, sort of cultural things, I guess. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know for sure, um, but He's just really nice. He's just really polite. Whenever he walks, watch this. The next time he walks or gets hit by a pitch like he did tonight even, he doesn't walk in front of the catcher or the umpire. He walks behind him to go to first base. He's just so damn nice. Oh, that I. you know what? I, I haven't even noticed that. That's, yeah, go, watch for that next time. Really? So he walks around behind them to get the first? He walks behind him. And then, you know, oh in, in the foul territory and then makes his way down to first base. That is really way too polite. It, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, that's that's a habit he's got to break. Oh, my God. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, we're Americans and we are big time jerks. So it's like us uh, French people. I'm, I'm a French descent. Uh, we're all jerks. I think but I'm also I got a lot of Eastern European in me. A lot of jerks in Eastern Europe like me. Right. This guy Probably could be, I mean, where he comes from, everybody's really nice, I'm sure. And then meanwhile, there's there's us. There's me. There's you. He's nothing yeah, I mean, like they us. They hit him with a freaking pitch, and he just, <laughs> go to, okay, I'll go, I'll go around you guys. Yeah, you guys take care of your business. Go you. Oh, Thank you very much. Well, Thanks for the base. He's a lot of fun, man. And you know what? So are you. I miss you, pal. I'm it. I'm I'm glad to talk to you. I I hope that I'll see you at, at Jack Patrick's when the uh, oh, the, Cubs well, play the Cardinals. That's a, that's a for sure. Uh, by the way, are you really broadcasting like out of your bedroom or something? <laughs> no. Why? Oh, okay. Because I, I tweeted I, that. Yeah, maybe maybe that's. A, plus, I think I heard you one night uh, on the air. Maybe you were on with somebody else and you were describing that. I don't know. Um, so it's just, it's just, uh, well, it's no, just some. Delay. I do the show from my living room whenever I'm in oh. St. Louis. Yeah. The last time I was on the station a couple of weeks ago, I was up there and I'll actually, I will be in Chicago this weekend coming up and I've, uh, I've got the midday with Layla on Friday. So I'll be in studio then, you know, but like, otherwise okay, I'm, okay. I'm, I'm in my living room. But you are in your trying not okay. try not to wake up the neighbors. All right. Well, hopefully for their sake, you're, yeah. you're able to do that. I'm not, I'm not too worried about them, to be honest. See, told you Americans don't care about other people. <laughs> yeah, you. you're not nearly as polite as uh, say. Uh... <laughs> Gordon, good to talk to you, buddy. We'll talk again soon. You too, man. Thanks for having me on. That is Gordon Wittenmeyer of the of NBC Sports Chicago covering the Cubs at Wrigley Field. Snowy and cold. Hey, I don't really feel bad for Gordon, and I don't feel bad for anybody who was at the ballpark last night. On television, it looks really cool when snowflakes are coming down. Like, I would prefer it had to have been much snowier. You know, enough that they could play through it. Um, you know, not too much where they'd have to stop the game. Like, I don't want that. I just want them to... I like the snow globe game just a little bit more would have been nice for me and for Gordon's sake, just slightly colder.
and anybody else up in the press box, just a little bit colder, just so you guys know that you're alive. 312-644-6767 is the phone number you want to talk Cubs, you want to talk Bulls, and I have not forgotten about you White Sox folks. The game did not happen last night in Cleveland, postponed because of weather. They're going to make it up in a double header in July. So they will play tonight later on. Both Cubs and White Sox are playing tonight, different times, but uh, they should be back in action. And hopefully the weather will cooperate in Cleveland and, for that matter, in Chicago as well, as the Cubs will take on Tampa Bay in game two of their series. I'm Chris Ranji. This is Score Overnight. Here's a swing and a bouncing ball wide of third, gloved by the shortstop Walls, and he throws to first, not in time. Off the glove of Choi. Choi tried to stretch, got a glove on the ball, but it popped out. I'm not sure if the weather had an effect on that play or what. Bottom line, Cubs have a man on. Well, the issue was the third baseman cut right in front of Walls and really messed up his timing of feeling through the ball at short. So that was one issue. Now your footwork is out of whack. And then Choi stretched out towards the shortstop position, and then the throw is to the left. So then he has to reach way over, and the ball hits him in the heel of the glove. I got to believe that's an error on Choi. Seiya just making it difficult on everybody. That's why that error happened. Cubs win 4-2 last night over the Tampa Bay Rays at a cold Wrigley Field. Uh, a little snowy, too, as I mentioned. I'm Chris Ranji. Score overnights tonight. Good to have you along, and hello. Um, I, I feel like I haven't talked to you in a while. So here we are. You and me, Sean Sears, is producing the show back in the studio. Sean, I trust you have your taxes finished. You have them filed, sent away, whatever it is you had to do. I hope that you're not going to prison. Well, maybe he is. Ah, oh, gosh. Maybe he's already gone. <laughs> That'll be a real problem. If uh, Sean's, Sean's been arrested for not filing his taxes on time. I was just uh, told by a texter that when Gordon Wittenmeyer, who was our guest a few moments ago, talking about doing the show from uh, my bedroom. I don't, but apparently Grody does. So it's it's Grody who does <laughs> his, the show from does his he bedroom. Really, does he, he does it from his bedroom, I guess, huh? I guess. That's what this uh, texter says. We'll have to confirm with him later. Um, and then to your oh. question about my taxes, I did yeah. file them. I filed them actually last week. Okay. I, I'm glad. Uh, see, I wait until the last minute. I literally waited until the last minute. I saw your tweet. Yeah. Yesterday. <laughs> yeah. And somebody was giving me a hard time about, well, I'll, I'll just read the text for you. And you're welcome to text the show at 312-644-6767. The text zone is brought to you by Rosen Hyundai of Algonquin. Save time. Shop online at rosenhyundai.com. And the text message says, Chris, really? Did you just say paperwork and mail? I'm probably technologically challenged, the most technically uh, logically challenged person on earth, but I still file online. Come on, man. Okay, now that's fair, what you've just said. I do file the federal online with help from a friend. I have a guy who knows how to do taxes I am a mathematical stupid idiot, so I don't know how to do taxes. I don't know how to add. I don't know how to do percentages. I don't know how to keep anything in order, so I have a person who does this for me. The federal stuff gets done online, but I also happen to live in a city that has its own taxes. You can pay online but you have to file by mail. So I have to physically go to a mailbox and drop it off because I live in a city that doesn't allow you to do it online. So, and I, and I dropped it in the mailbox 
literally one minute before pickup, the last pickup of the day. You think I'm proud of myself? You better believe it, son. I mean, I can't. I cannot believe I did that. No, actually, you live I, a dangerous life, man. I do. That's right. That's right. Um, I will eat and drink like milk uh, a day or two past the expiration date. I will eat food that sell-by date was a day or two ago. I will file my taxes with one minute to spare. I ain't afraid. Kyle is in Chicago and is with us on the score. Good morning, Kyle. Yeah, good morning indeed. And uh, the texter was right. It, it was Mark Grody. Uh, I guess he had a noise complaint for being too loud, and I'm not sure he if it did. was Shane Reardon or somebody was uh, hooking him up with uh, more sound. <laughs> Pretty entertaining. Yes, uh, from um, what I understand, the guy uh, showed up and, and helped him like cover up vents and do this and do that, and I think he covered up vents with diapers. Um, I, you know, I got a couple questions. Um, I wanted to pick your brain. Um, I'm, I'm more used to watching um, playoffs for, like, hockey and baseball when it comes to that time of the season. Um, the Bulls have gotten me a little more interested in basketball here the last few years and um, whether they've been in the playoffs or not. But uh, when it comes to, and I mean, obviously there's a thing with home court advantage and everything. Everybody is, you know, if you can, incur that playoff factor. But when it comes to the, um, to the officiating, um, is there more leniency in the officiating, knowing that you just want to keep the game going and not give any um, advantage for one team or the other? Because you see it more in hockey. You know, you don't see as much fighting. Um, you see a lot more penalties get, you know, thrown, kind of swept under the rug because um, they don't want to give more um, uh, odd man advantages on one side of the puck or the other. You know what I mean? And and I'm wondering if that plays a factor um, in maybe play or in playoff basketball, even though it is, you know, not giving as many free throws and stuff like that. Um, and I do have a second question after you answer that, if it's possible. Okay. Um, first of all, I don't, I don't know the numbers of whether or not they call more fouls or fewer fouls in the postseason. If they do, my guess is it's not by much. I bet it's still pretty similar to what it is in the regular season. I mean, if you just take game one for the Bulls, for example, there were quite a few few fouls called at what I would say are, like, probably should not have been called or called poorly. Like, for example, the Giannis over-the-back foul, which wasn't called a foul on Giannis. It was called on Patrick Williams, who was just boxing out, and it was a clean box out. I think I, but again, I don't know the numbers of whether or not it's 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 less or about the same. I think you are right in the NHL, though. It seems a lot less, a lot fewer penalties are called when the postseason rolls around. I mean, you still get power plays, but I don't think it's nearly as much as what happens in the regular season. I think you're pro- I think you're right about that for sure. Yeah, I was just curious about it because, I mean, you figure with the playoffs, and, I mean, you, you just you just don't want to see any team have one more advantage of the other. So I feel like they should let a little more fly, in my personal opinion. But, you know, it's just – and I know the game is a little more uh, – I guess it revolves a little more around, you know, the fouls and stuff like that and going up to the line and, you know, shooting your free throws and fouling somebody who has less of a chance of – you know, maybe making a free throw or something to just kind of play the numbers and play it into your favor. But I was just wondering if, if there was just something maybe in your personal opinion. Well, maybe that... real quick, Kyle, I'm, I'm looking it up as we're talking here. And, and just, this is just a, this is quick. And this is from a few years ago and they were counting sure. the, the number of fouls called per game regular season. And they were doing this over a six year period. And this was just a few years ago. Um, and there were actually more fouls called in the playoffs by like one wow. or two. Yeah, like one or two more called in the playoffs than um, you know, than in the regular season. So I don't know the I don't know the more current numbers because it's not something I've looked into, but apparently there are actually more called when playoff time okay. happens. 
Um, and then I appreciate that. And then I do have a second question. Um, and this is just more of my experience just being more involved in hockey, but um, I've noticed, and this has just been, it's, it's been a pet peeve just noticing this, but I've noticed basketball has so much time in between games from the end of the regular season to the start of the playoffs and in between each game. Bulls played Sunday and they don't play again until Wednesday and they're still playing in the same town as Milwaukee. It doesn't make sense to me. When I'm watching hockey, it's like you got one game Monday, one game Wednesday, two days off between going from one city to the next. Is there a reason why there is so much time in between games? And how much can that really sway potential, I mean, momentum? I mean, is there just something, maybe it's just something I've noticed, or is that just something that basketball does in itself? Well, Kyle, I appreciate the phone call. First of all, I don't know if that's necessarily true. I I, I do feel like in the hockey postseason, there are still some times where there are a couple of days off in between games. I don't think it's always game, day off, game, day off, game, day off. It's not always like that. Um, and especially if they're accommodating for travel. I, I, don't, I don't know why they do it like this in the NBA other than maybe they just want to have certain matchups on TV. Because if you notice... Games only overlap a little now when it comes to the playoffs. They, they try to make sure that you can watch just about every game that happens. And you're not like there's one game going on and it's on TV. And then there's another game that starts halfway through that first game. So they're both on TV at the same time. I think they do a pretty good job of avoiding that. I don't know the NHL does. And, and again, you're asking me a question I don't have an answer for. But I I don't think it's necessarily true that hockey doesn't have multiple days off in in between games sometimes. But I do appreciate the phone call. And you can correct me if if you're listening and I am wrong and you have numbers to back it up. Let me know. 312-644-6767. I'm Chris Ranji. Hour two of Score Overnights coming up next on The Score. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 